Okay, welcome back. Part two, Mickey Schwartz interview, as promised. I hope you guys enjoyed the first part. Uh, you're going to dig the second part. This part is the one where uh, Denny was sitting with us. Denny Rosen was sitting in the room while I was talking with Mickey. And Denny becomes a more vocal part of the uh, interview. So it really is almost like uh, the three of us are there together for part of this. But their rapport together really makes it special. So I think you'll dig that. Before we go, just to tell you, uh, tickets for the OJ90 90th Summer Celebration have officially gone on sale. The invite went out yesterday. If you didn't get one, uh, just go over to OJ90.com. You can get all the info there. If you've been to that website before, it's all changed. It's all uh, new details about the event. But you can go to the you can go to the OJ90 site. You can buy yourself tickets to the Saturday night event. You can buy yourself tickets to the Friday night men's only event that's going to be happening at uh, Joy of the Game. Well, it used to be Joy of the Game at the North Shore Sports and Wellness. Uh, you'll be able to book a room. Uh, we have a discounted block of rooms at the Weston Wheeling. And uh, you'll be able to book a room right through the site there as well as find out details about the event. Head over to OJ90.com. You can do it all right there. And uh, we can't wait to see you guys on May 6th. Okay, without further ado, let's get to it. Part two, Mickey Schwartz on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. memories when I was only five. At the time, camp age was six to 16. And the reason for that was that uh, there was a polio outbreak, I think during the war or right after the war in Chicago. Mm. So the parents wanted to get their kids away from the beaches because they thought that's where the disease came from. So camp, camp's growth was dramatic during, uh, right after the war and into the early 50s. It was a big growth at the time. Wow. And I think our average during those years was about 175 campers, and then it grew while Denny and I were there running, running the program and things. It grew. The most we ever had that I remember was 210. Wow. I remember Denny and I had a difficult time if a kid wanted to move cabins mm. because we had single uh, single beds, not the bunk beds, single beds with some beds in the middle. And we had, at the most, we could get in there with 17 kids. So we had to find some kid willing to move to another kid so we could move a kid <laughs> from the cabin he didn't want to stay in. So it was a very difficult summer, and both of us agreed that was too many with the setup that we had. Sure. Uh, it, it, it was a, a great time, but a, di a difficult time. Mm -hmm. There were just too many kids. And uh, so 
that was one aspect of the growth at the time. And also those that kids that had allergies. Oh, In the pine sure. and balsam country, you get some relief from allergies because there were a lot of those trees as you go through the forest mm -hmm. as opposed to deciduous trees. Sure. So that was another reason why the camp uh, grew during those years. And they were great years. You know, you're going to find, as you do these interviews, every five or ten years, you're going to have a group that kept coming back and back. Our average stay was about five years. Mm -hmm. And many of them continued on to counselor, junior, you know, junior counselor, counselor. George Sachs was the champ of that. <laughs> he, he was there as a camper, junior counselor, counselor, camp manager, and ultimately camp doctor. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe next to Denny and maybe Elliot Friedman, the longest longevity would be those. Well, they haven't. Know. I'm not involved in it because I was never a camper, but. George and Elliot have this arguments about, but George has been there consecutively longer than Elliot, because he started before Elliot. Right, did. as a and, camper. Right, but, but but even when he was in the army or something, he came and visited, so he counts that even though he, he wasn't there. Well, he's he's hunching a little bit. He's fudging. <laughs> fudging, yeah. yeah. He's, he's fudging a lot. Yeah, he was but, also the program director in 1967. Right. With me, year. wasn't it? Did he do it with me? Well, that's the year Rachel was born. Oh, wait a minute. Did, that was the year I did it with uh, H. Reed Harris. No, that was before him. H. Reed wasn't there. No, but I think he he did it with me. I think you and H. Reed Harris did it the year oh, that you're right. Novak didn't. You're absolutely, boy, this guy is good. Right. <laughs> no wonder we work together so well. Yeah. Remember I said about the word Tarko Toys? Yes, 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 I do. Tarko Toys. Yeah. That's when I treat, uh, and you did the program that year. Yep, you're right, absolutely right. And, and then, then he came back for a year when Ira Keish and I were in the waterfront, and then he passed like in May of 1961, and that's my first year as program director. Yeah. Then he was waterfront director, believe it or not. I don't think he was ever in the water. <laughs> but, but he... He could make his voice heard. Sure. Yeah. I don't but think I've it, ever seen you in the lake. No. He well, I think he may and have been allergic to the yeah That's to the fair. water. That and to peas. He didn't like peas. <laughs> but uh, where are we now in our story? We're. Uh, um, well, I think just uh, to make sure we didn't leave off, did we get to the end of of camp? We got to the Swede camp. building the buildings. Yeah. And your dad coming up and making trips to check on the progress. Right. So. Um, some people have told us that there were four cabins close to the lake to start. No. And that they were moved back. No. No. So I just wondered if that was at one of the other No. Places. They were built exactly where they are now. One, how many two, one, two, three. And I think he had 30 some odd campers that first year. Mm. That's great. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's how we started. And then as money came in, he could add cabins. Sure. And Denny's done a wonderful job maintaining the cabins. I, I think he's done a wonderful job. Were the was the the size of the cabin was basically no. The same, we put on <clears throat> if we first had just shutters and a screen. We had no windows. Mm. And one of the worst jobs a counselor would have would be in the middle of a rainstorm, having to run out and shut the shutters so the kid sleeping under that w window wouldn't get soaked. Sure. And uh, my dad used to 
go around at night to make sure all the shutters were closed because some of the concerts <laughs> didn't want to go out in the rain. <laughs> and uh, then we put on a front porch for the counselors because they used to have to sleep with the kids in the back of, well, the back of the, ca- uh, the front of the cabin. Mm-hmm. Then the counselors had a porch. Then they put on another section, uh, and then they put in a washroom because the kids used to go out the back door <laughs> in the middle of the night. Sure. Or if they made it to the shower house by the mess hall, that was it. But the thing that hurt the kids going out at night were the ghost stories sure. about Chili the Ketchup Man. Chili the Ketchup Man. Yeah, who would walk on the wires <laughs> leading from the mess hall to the cabins through one through uh, six. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, and then the, the, Chili the Ketchup Man, everybody was afraid that he comes out at night. Then we had another one where it was the pumpkin head. And this was a guy supposedly with a huge head, and the head would glow at night, and he'd come by the screens. And the counselors, of course, would be scratching the screens, you know, scaring the kids. Until <laughs> my dad caught wind of it, and my mom absolutely, you know, None of this. Yeah. But the staff started those stories to keep the kids from going out and peeing in the back of the cabins because it smelled. Yeah, where the sure. where the bathing suits used right. to be hung. So that's how those stories got started. Right, and then, and then they would act them out. The guys coming back with ketchup all over them. Yeah. The pumpkin in the window. Yeah, yeah. With it's, a flashlight. Yeah, that, that, you're right. Oh, that's, that's terrible. You know, they were they were scary stories for little kids, and even the bigger kids, you know, didn't like that. And then Zeke. And yeah, Zeke, the caretaker, who, you know, there were th- different different incarnations of the same type of thing. You know, they're out at night, they come out at night. Well, so then the final step was to build a washroom and additional shelves in the back of the mm. each cabin. In my first year in 59, I still lived in the old cabin. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, that was the last year. And yeah. 60 then he then he started, you know, usually one or two cabins at a time. It, it was costly, you know. And uh, as I said, then he has kept them up beautifully, but there's still the same number of cabins as there were when my dad ran the camp, hmm. including cabin 13, which Denny did some wondrous things because that was a senior boy's cabin. And... We had no running water, so we'd have to go from 13 into the shower house at the beach. And Denny, I, he's taken me around a few times we've been back, built additional sleeping and mm-hmm. uh, the a very nice washroom shower room set up. So what we now call is cabin 14, you used to call the dad's lodge. Did, did Al build that cabin just for fathers to yep. come up? Yep, yep, yep. And it was the prettiest cabin uh, structure at camp. It was built, I believe, the year after the rec hall was built, which I think was 1940. And this may have been built in 45 or 46, something like that, the year after, but close to when the rec hall was built. Mm-hmm. It was magnificent. That's the only thing I was angry with Denny, that, but he needed the space. Well, I didn't want the father's. Well, no, no, forget the fathers. Oh, I need forget, the, forget the fathers. It was paneled, beautiful, knotty wood paneling. 
Mm. He had a beautiful fireplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I heard that that was going to be the, the, the use of the cabin, I was worried that the kids would be marking up and doing the, you know, things to it. But on a recent visit when I was up there, it looked pretty good. Yeah. It looked pretty good. And he put a skylight in one spot. Just, yeah. Who are you? Yeah, I've been in that cabin since uh, 12 years now. But so it, it, we keep it, an eye on holes in the wall as best we can and try to make them understand, you know. Yeah, well, that was the premier building at the time. My dad was very proud of it. We're still proud of it. And yeah, uh, well, I saw what Denny did with the uh, fire pits, which is a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, in those days when it was the dad's lodge, could dads just come up basically any time they wanted? or They would call the office. We didn't want any dads up the first week. And that makes cause sense. Because we even old campers would get homesick sometimes. Sure. So we didn't want to regenerate that type of a feeling. So... But I'd say, like, from the second uh, week there that we had fathers would stay in the lodge, and we had people come up with the fathers. They didn't have sons, but mm. they loved the atmosphere. They loved watching the kids play ball. Some of them would uh, challenge the uh, counselors to games that were still just past their prime, maybe. So that those were fun, fun days. They weren't like in the later days with the parents where they would have big poker games in there. And mm. That wasn't good. So that was good that that was stopped. And some of them tried to coach their kids while, you know, camp was running. And sure, and that's... we had to lecture them all the time. You just, you can watch. You're not there to coach. Yeah. So it had its pluses and minuses. It was a... Uh, uh, Word of mouth regarding the food, which was unbelievable, mm -hmm. and it still is good. Uh, in fact, we lost one of our really good bakers to a guest that came up with another father, and he said to my dad, he says, my God, these rolls are fantastic. The desserts are fantastic. He says, can I borrow your baker just for the winter months, and you get them back in the summer months. <laughs> and uh, my dad says, as long as you don't steal them. And that went on for three years until he stole them. Wow. Joe, I forget, uh, the baker's name was Joe Kosalik. Mm. He was with us for like 12 years. Wow. And he was outstanding. And, uh, but he made more money in the city. His son came up to join him. And his wife used to help him. And he was a, a great, great baker. Hmm. And we had another great baker, too, in Otto Schmidt. That was a bulk of Denny's years at camp at the later years, years right? Uh, well, he was with Catherine and Otto. Catherine mm -hmm. was Otto's sister. Were oh. extremely loyal to Al and Mickey. And they worked in the kitchen when... Uh, when the camp changed uh, ownership, ownership yeah. they stayed for one year. Then Kevin didn't like it. She, it wasn't the same for her. Okay. And Otto stayed for a few more years. Oh, did he? Good. Uh, and then uh, Otto, at, at one point in his career, was the mayor of Eagle River. The mayor of Eagle <laughs> River in Schmidt's Bakery. Yeah, it was at one time. It was his and his sisters. Yeah, this mayor was. Of Eagle River. 
This was interesting. Otto had, like Denny said, Schmidt's Bakery. And his father before him had Schmidt's Bakery in Three Lakes. But he liked Eagle River and he had a home on the lake, one of the lakes, Dollar Lake or one of those lakes. Mm -hmm. He was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, because every meal had a dessert that was homemade. Wow. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And the meals were just like they are now. Mm -hmm. But we had steaks as good as you could buy. And that was every Saturday night. It was as much as a kid could eat. Some of the bigger kids had two or three fillets. I would help my dad grilling the steaks. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Maravitz. Whoever, Scotty, Jimmy Maravitz. I think Denny was in there with us uh, because he felt he paid so much for these, even though Katie was an outstanding cook and she had nine assistants. He was worried that they were going to be overcooked or weren't going to be as good as... He could make it. Sure. <laughs> so we had a we had a grill maybe almost the size of this table but square and we had a system where we worked the steaks around and we would cook on a given night seven hundred and twenty steaks. Wow. We didn't have as many kids in those days as you have now. And uh, so we had that and we had uh, a roast beef on Friday nights and the food was as good as you could possibly get. Mm -hmm. Denny runs the same great kitchen now. He's what got would a, happen on Saturday nights? What would Al do? Saturday nights, yeah, he would stick. <laughs> <laughs> they had a showman. I'm trying to remember his name. This is going back into the 20s. He, he, the showman would yell to the audience after he told some jokes and did some dancing. He would yell out, is everybody happy? And they'd all yell, well, that was the entertainer. But for my dad, they'd yell back, yes, Al, you know, and <laughs> it was a tradition. And then he'd call the cooks out, and then he'd call the bakering department out so that all of them got uh, uh, some, uh, uh, the kids knew who they were by, by sight, to give them some credit. And he'd talk about how great the meals were. You know, and it's all due to Katie Evans and her staff and Otto Schmidt and his sister Catherine and all the wonderful goodies, you know. Do you remember what he used to do to keep the kitchen staff happy? Give well, he did many things, but... The trinkets? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would drive my mother crazy. Do they still have the clacks in there? The red light and the yeah, clacks? Yeah, we don't use it. Well... We used to eat by cabins more than the buffet, which mm -hmm. is easier to handle the number of kids. He had, uh, with staff and guests, because we always had fathers from the Father's Lodge, we were feeding probably 220 people in a meal. Mm. He, when the kids got restless, my dad was like an actor. I mean, I could not emulate him. It was his shtick. And Denny, uh, we just would start laughing. It was just fantastic. Because he'd say, when the kids got real noisy, because maybe it was too hot in there or whatever, he says, we got them quiet down. We had a, a red light over, you know, right straight from the uh, first staff table. Mm -hmm. And then behind my mom, because she loved to operate that thing, 
was a klaxon horn from a Model T Ford. Maybe one of my dad's old cars. It's still there. Is it? And it was upright. And when the light was on and she switched the uh, switch behind her, that horn would go off. And it was so loud in that room, everybody got quiet. You know. <laughs> and then my dad would start his routine because once they were quiet, he would get them riled up again. He said, you know, I like the peace and quiet. He says, not the clink, 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 and the kids would take their spoons and start whacking the metal container that held the Dixie cup that fit in it. Mm -hmm. Or the pound, pound, and he got louder and louder, and the kids were stamping their feet, standing on the benches, standing on top of the tables. <laughs> you know, my mom would go crazy. She turned that horn horn on and give him such a dirty look you know, <laughs> because it was quiet and he got them all riled up. And then what would he do? Denny and I are there trying to get the kids quiet again. He'd walk out the back door. He'd get them, <laughs> get them riled up and, and walk. go home. Yeah, he'd go home. <laughs> That's fantastic. And he used to, uh, he would tell different uh, standard stories that old campers knew and loved. He would talk about don't peel the birch bark, but he called them the princesses of the forest. Mm. And he says, it's a sin to peel the birch bark because those trees will die. They didn't really, but. And uh, so he talked that one. After the dinner meal, he would pass out canteen, we called it, but it was boxes of candy. Mm -hmm. And my mother would sit there at the table watching the kids so they wouldn't take two bars out. Yeah. But every so often we'd pick different boys to bring the candy up from downstairs. They knew they could take as much candy as they wanted. Sure. So that was their reward for carrying the boxes down and putting them together and taking them down again. So I'm telling about my dad's speeches, the, uh, oh, the, the princesses of the forest, the birch trees. Yeah, don't. The birch trees. Then with the canteen, the kids... We'd litter the campus, you know, and we Sorry. put up we we put up a can a, a garbage cans, you know, nice garbage cans all over the campus and beyond. And my dad would talk about how he there was a mountain he called it a mountain of candy wrappers, and he held his back. I don't know how much longer I can do this, but he says I think my back is going out, <laughs> you know. So that was another story. Then there was a toilet paper moron story. I don't know if anybody <laughs> told that one. What would happen in the shower house down at the beach? Part, as you know, is washroom, mm -hmm. and part is a shower room. So the kids used to grab the toilet paper roll and pull off toilet paper, wad it up with the water, and start whipping it at the kids in the shower. Then the kids in the shower, we had a place where they stored toilet paper. They would grab the toilet paper, wet it under the shower, and lob it over the wall to the kids oh, that were sitting. Yeah, bombs for the kids that were sitting doing their thing. <laughs> and a war. It was a war. Sure. But he, he, yeah, it does. He, so my dad would get aggravated, and I don't blame him. They're wasting good toilet paper, and they're creating extra work for the uh, workmen who had to scrape the dried toilet paper from the shower walls. and Certainly. So he would go into the story about the toilet paper moron, which was somewhat like 
the uh, River City song from The Music Man. Mm. He's, we got trouble right here. Trouble right here at Camp Ojibwa. <laughs> you know, we got a toilet paper moron. <laughs> and uh, then he goes into the story. And you had to see him to appreciate it because he would speak on two levels. One, to f- get the kids to shape up. And two, for the entertainment of the staff. Mm. And he would say, you know, I don't understand it. He says, I buy the finest of everything from the kitchen to even a roll of toilet paper. He says, this is Delcy Wondersoft. And he made up the word, <laughs> Delcy Wondersoft. He says, not one ply, but two ply. He says, that's the best you can buy. He says, but you know, if this happens again, he'd call whoever our lead handyman was, you know, like Martin Olson or whoever it might have been. Mm-hmm. Martin, I want you to take the truck. He says, go to the hardware store. And what's the roughest sandpaper? He and Martin would say, 16, Al. He says, that's what I thought, Martin. I want you to get a truckload of 16, number 16, uh, sandpaper. And what we're going to do, we're going to take away the Delcy Wondersoft two-ply and replace it with 16-grade sandpaper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, they were classic, classic stories. Sure. And, uh, but the kids loved them, especially the staff and the older campers. I mean, because this is part of the, one of the tr- traditions at camp. Yeah, absolutely. So where am I in my tale? Because I'm drifting all over the place. I think it's great. One of the things... Um, these, are, these are the stories that we have to capture. Yeah. Not just from you, but... There's so many guys and so many stories you don't know where to begin. Well, and and that's the why we just, we're, that's where and we're the starting. interesting thing is, this was this last summer I believe was thirty years that we sold camp. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of years went by. September of nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. Was a transfer. Yeah. And he did a remarkable job because enrollment was going down, and Dad saw the writing on the wall. It's going to be a split, four week, eight week, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He says, "I don't want to do that." Yeah, I held out until ninety-four. That's amazing. Yeah, we're the last camp. Wow. I remember when I was a camper, we would take the train up to camp. And the unions would have four different teams take over at different points. I mean, you could make that run, and with the train going straight through, probably four and a half, five hours. But they had to put a different crew on every hour and a half or so. It was a passenger train, Northwestern Railroad. But they made so many steps, st- uh, stops because they had to get a new crew on to work a few hours or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So that run would take us probably eight and a half, nine hours, and it shouldn't wow. have. But the point I was going to tell you, the first trips, and I don't know if they were like that, Danny, when you started, but they were sleeper trains, and they would totally wreck that train. <laughs> because they had water where you could push a button and the water would come out and you'd have a little cup, you know, pla- uh, paper cup. There were water fights back and forth. And my dad, all night long, when I was a camper, he'd have to walk. And he'd get a few counselors back and forth to get the kids finally to bed. Mm. And uh, then ultimately they changed to a day 
train. And then after that, uh, my dad felt they could see the end coming. They were talking about taking track out for the railroad oh. from uh, Anago. Mm. And <clears throat> then we switched to the buses. And uh, we used Keishan buses. This is my dad's friend. Sure. It wasn't exactly his business. It was his son's business. And uh, Paul started that first year. Dad loaned him money to buy buses. Well, he we needed five buses. So two of the buses were brand new. Three of the buses were jalopy buses because that's all he could afford. <laughs> Some of the mothers were complaining so bitterly about their kid riding in a dilapidated bus that they said, we are not sending our kid back next year if you have those same buses. So we told Paul that <clears throat> he knew there was a problem. And he says, if you can skip, I don't know if it was one or two years, he said, I'll have all brand new buses. So that's when we started with him again. And he recommended a bus company uh, out of Chicago someplace. And they had all new buses. Mm. And it was, thank goodness, we didn't have to lose a camper because of the buses. Yeah, for sure. So that was, I don't know if the buses were there when you were there, or was it the train still? No, when I, it was <coughs> all buses. All buses. We stopped the trains sometime in the 70s, I think. We, I don't remember. Yeah, no, yeah. it was all buses. All buses. But that was a better way to go. Mm -hmm. except if you had to ride the buses with 45 kids asking you, are we there yet? You know? <laughs> so when the time came where we had, a, we had the buses, they were luxurious, nice buses, but it was difficult talking to all the kids and keeping them happy, and I'd be worn out when I got up to camp, mm. and Denny was raring to go. <laughs> he was a 110-percenter from first day at, at camp that he was with us at camp had tremendous energy hmm. except one day during the summer he would disappear every summer every summer and was consistent and I really didn't blame him but I got PO'd at the time where in the hell is Denny I need him to find out th about this or to do that he was so valuable I mean I can't tell you how great he was so I knew he was off in the woods smoking a cigar someplace, but, <laughs> but I overlooked it and my anger dissipated in time. And I'll tell you something truthfully. I don't think out of the 25 years we worked together very closely did we ever have an argument. Hmm. Never had an argument. We always got along. I mean, I would take a piece of what he said, he would take a piece of what I said, put it together, and it usually turned out pretty good. Well, the real... <laughs> well, I'm not even getting into that. That's a, that's <laughs> another... Had a, we had an unbelievable relationship. Yep, we and did. the reason is that uh, we respected each other's right. role. We both wanted the same thing. We had different personalities to go about doing it. Right. Uh, well, well, we're at about an hour 15. Okay. We barely scratched the surface. All right. Well, I can do more. <laughs> it doesn't. I think that is. Or we can. Um, I think that. Uh, I think we should end it with one or two more questions, mm -hmm. because we, this doesn't have to be the last time we, we meet. No. Right. 
I'm happy. I told Danny anything he needs, I'll do. Wonderful. Well, we want to preserve the history of camp and the more information. I mean, you're like one of the primary people. There was an interesting time after the war because a lot of the guys that were in the Army, Navy, whatever, came to camp as counselors. Mm. And we had a very mature staff. Mm. And athletically, fantastic. We had a professional boxer. We had a uh, professional basketball player. We think we had a... More than one. More than one, right. And Hershey Carl. Yeah, Hershey Carl. But this is going before him, even. We had a... Uh, I can't remember. Chuck something was another. He played professional basketball for a good number of years. He was he was great. One time we had five bouncers <clears throat> that all started on the college team. Yeah. That was a, a great group of guys, and we paid, played, and it either was Ray Myers' camp or Camp Buckatobin, who had two all-stars on their and team. St. Mary's. And Saint, well, every year was St. Mary's. Bob but Smith I'm, was an All-American who played against the Highland Gold Chargers. Yeah. <laughs> they used to, the All-American team used to travel around the country playing right. Gold Chargers in serious, in serious games. That was an interesting time. But that's how we also build up great relationships with people. And I have another kind of with my mom. When she taught at McKinley, there was another wonderful guy, their well-respected coach, called Sid Novak. And my mother convinced Sid to talk to my dad about coming to camp to being, at the time we called him a head counselor. Uh, we refined it later to program director. But really what it was, the lifeblood of camp, like Denny was, to keep things moving, to plan activities. To, and this guy was fantastic. He wrestled at Illinois, as did Denny, I think. Uh, he was a very strong man. Not a big, tall guy, but wide in depth. He, he was a very strong guy. Mm. And he knew every kid's name in camp. Denny and I struggle sometimes. My dad, too. Yeah. My dad would make up names. <laughs> it was funny, the names he came up with. Right. Sure. Unbelievable yeah. names. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but Sid, in, in his job, after the first week, knew every kid. Mm. Denny and I, after a couple of weeks, because we knew the old ones that returned, but we recruited maybe 75 new kids every year. So those we had to learn. And uh, so, but we did it. And the, the kids loved Denny. They loved me, I hope. Mm -hmm. And certainly Sid was very well liked. And he was with us 20 years. And he died coaching his team in a, ch a city championship basketball game. He had a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And they named it Outstanding Coach of the City. The Sid Novak Trophy Award every year. Do they, Dan? I they didn't, did. I, 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 think they I did. didn't know that, which is a nice tribute. And in the Counselor's Lodge is a beautiful poem about Sid. And I think Dan Schneid, uh, Lee Schneidman wrote that poem. Yeah, I think it's in the Messel. Yeah, I think so. I think on the far side. Yeah, it's in the Messel. Mm -hmm. But it was a very nice tribute to, uh, to Sid. And uh, he was great. He was a terrific guy, but when the warrior crop of counselors came, these were some big, strong guys, and they knew not to mess with Sid. 
Sid also used to referee uh, professional uh, wrestling matches on TV. <laughs> and he was as tough separating guys and talking to them. And he put on a show himself. Sure. And oh, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, it, it, it was quite a show. I remember I remember one thing that happened, or two things that happened with Sid. One was there was a counselor at camp who kept from the Army that they develop a bad drinking habit. Mm. And he had a whiskey bottle under his bunk at, at camp in a suitcase. And when he would drink, he was kind of mean with the kids. Mm. And one of the kids told, I don't know who it was, but the word got back to Sid. And Sid went in there and accused him of drinking on the job. He says, you know, go for you know, whatever. Sure. Uh, so Sid said, wait a minute. He says, do you really want to say that to me? And he was drunk at the time, and Sid pulled out the uh, suitcase because he was told this or it was, and he opened it up, and there he was, a couple of bottles of whiskey, which he dumped down the sink, went back out there. Now, he said, what exactly did you want to say to me? And uh, the guy was still shooting his mouth off. Sid took the back of his hand and just right across the guy's neck and opened the neck. He was bleeding from the neck. Pack your bags and get the hell out of here. Wow. And that was, that was it. And, of course, that story circulated around camp. And another time when the train operated, I didn't get to see this happen, but a whole train full of kids and counselors did. One of the stops they had to make was in Rhinelander, or Anago. One of the two, there was a layover. They mm -hmm. called them layovers. And there was a guy selling hot dogs and hamburgers, a little cart. And the kids wanted to, to buy. And he says, I ain't selling to you effing Jews. Mm -hmm. And the word got back to Sid. And Sid uh, got off the train, went over to where the guy was. And he wasn't a little guy. And he says, I understand you're having some problem with kids. You're not willing to send. And he repeated the same thing. I ain't selling to. Mm -hmm. Sid didn't hesitate. A punch came out faster than lightning, and it knocked the guy down to the ground and out. And he told the kids, get back on the train. <laughs> We're going to Chicago. Wow. Yeah. My dad had a problem when I was on the train one year with uh, the conductor who wanted the kids to get off the train at 3 in the morning in Eagle River. And the bus, <laughs> the, the transportation from the uh, station to camp wasn't there yet. I mean, 3 in the morning. My dad says, are you nuts? He says, the guy says, well, I'm going to wake up all the kids. And my dad grabbed them, pounded them against one of the walls in the train. He says, you're not going anywhere. He says, and Ben Heineman who owns the Northwestern, is going to be told about you. Get the hell off the train. Wow. And the kids were able to sleep until whatever transportation we had to take them into camp. Mm -hmm. So things were rough and tough. And uh, But my dad did exactly what he told the banker and... Uh, the, the carpenter and the lumberman, when a check came in from any vendor from camp, 
that day, the orders in the office were a check goes out to that vendor. Mm. And we had the camp manager who we didn't even have to mail it. He would hand it to the different vendors in town. Mm. You know, but he so. wouldn't just pay people. Sometimes he would send yep. cookies or he yep. would send whatever. A, a box of hamburgers or a box of steaks. Whatever. Never just a straight payout. Right. Mm. They got their money fast in addition to we always had extra. And the truck drivers used to come around mealtime that would bring in supplies from Chicago, <laughs> from Green Bay. We got our fish from Green Bay. And he'd have them sit down and have a meal. And they all loved them and whatever we needed. The other thing was whenever we had problems with electrical, because, you know, in the Northwoods, trees are always falling on wires. Sure. You, you happened probably where you were yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. So whenever the electric company would come out, my dad, after they finished their job, my dad would give them tons of stuff. We were the first stop that they ever made when a power out, outage, other than in Eagle River itself. Mm. Out of town, we got the help first. It's just the way he did it, and he had a winning personality, too. Yeah. He was nice to these guys. You're in my home, you sit down and eat. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's that's how he was. Denny, I'm sure, continued. And, uh, that, the same way now, Mike. Same thing. He was the first guy, which my dad didn't even think of doing. He invited the town of Eagle River, I guess through one of the local organizations to come into camp. He had an open house. Mm. We actually uh, <clears throat> did it. Uh, we did two of them. We did one with the bank and we did one with the Chamber of Commerce. That was the one I was thinking of. And the one that we did with the Chamber of Commerce, we did it and we honored uh, Otto. But that was a very smart thing because some had driven by and never knew what was going on there. Sure. Well, not only that, we were the first camp to join the Chamber of Commerce. And because of that, they put in a lot of sensitivity training things with the so people would be smarter about anti-Semitic remarks. And do you know rather than fight them, we joined them and brought them into camp. Right. It's like it was a very wise move, very good. Mm. So I think I'm going to conclude. Mm -hmm. Is there one any one story? Yeah, unless unless something you'd like to well, ask the, me. The last thing I ask everyone. Is if you can tell me just one. Oh, that's great too, ma case. too many. Doesn't have to be the greatest. Too, too many. Uh, just just any one. So many. There's just so many different stories from when I was a camper. Even <laughs> we had uh, a group of guys that didn't have the key to the kitchen, but somehow they got into the kitchen. And they're I don't know what they're grabbing in the way of food, but then my mother hears everything. My dad goes to bed early because he's up at 5 in the morning. Oof. I would get up at 6.30. Then he would get up at Reveille. <laughs> because it's a full day. You're going, yeah. you know. I didn't go to bed till Right. It's the same with me. You know, you're solving problems in cabins. And anyhow, we had one guy who was a, a giant, Big Bob Keen. And he wasn't there when you were there. But if you look in some of the old pictures of the counselors, He's heading, he was like a man mountain. He was about 6'5", probably weighed a little over 300 pounds. Mm. And my mom woke up my dad. Oh, and I have another funny one to tell you. Woke up my dad, and my dad goes out there and 
Big Bob Keen is running to get away because he knows Al is coming, you know. <laughs> Everybody else was swifter afoot, afoot than, than him. Now, this is a big man, but it's dark on the campus. He trips on third base running toward cabin eight, which was his cabin, and it's like a beached whale, you know. <laughs> there he is laying out on third base. My dad says, Bob, what are you doing here? And Bob tried to think, what the heck I tell him? He says, Al, it got too hot in the cabin, so I'm sleeping using third base as a pillow. <laughs> it's a goofy, goofy story. Goofy story. That's fantastic. What was that other one I was going to... Oh, it always happens at night when, when noises occur, and my mom is the first to hear. Always interrupts my dad's sleep. Al, there's a problem here, there's a problem there. So there was a kid screaming at one in the morning, and it sounded like it was coming from cabin 10. And she says, it's by cabin 10. And my dad grabs a bat, and he goes, he doesn't know what he's going to do with it, but grabs the bat, and he runs over, he walked over to cabin 10, and the kids are screaming. And my dad looked in through the window. Some of the counselors got a little high on booze in town on their night mm -hmm. off, and they bought uh, uh, fright masks. These are these rubber masks that sure. the bank robbers wear, you know? <laughs> and they're waking the kids up and looking over at them. Yeah, with this. So the kids were screaming. It's scary, terrible stuff. My dad was really aggravated. He walks in the front door, pounds the bat on the floor. Silence. These big counselors are shaking. Because you don't want to be near my dad when he's mad. He's not a tall guy, but powerful and had a voice, maybe the equal of Denny's, maybe stronger than Denny's when he really got crazy mad. Mm. And he got mad because the kids were being scared. You know, that's not what they're at camp for. Right. One of the guys was a skinny guy, looked like Ichabod Crane. He was about 6'4", tall guy. And... Uh, my dad says, take off that damn mask. And the guy's legs were shaking. We were watching from cabin nine because it was on the counselor's porch. And we see this guy, honest to God, his legs were shaking and rivulets of sweat are going down his face. And my dad looks at him and he had the village idiot mask where the, you know, like this and the tongue is hanging out like this, you know. <laughs> my dad looks at him. Put that back on and sleep in it, and I'll be by tomorrow morning to check on you. <laughs> it was a classic because we were laughing so hard in the cabin next to us because this guy was scared out of his wits, you know. But uh, those are two stories I remember. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. A pleasure. Thank you. Chris, really nice to visit with you in Absolutely. detail here. Absolutely. Rather than just a handshake. Yeah, with, for uh, sure. Okay, that is it. A classic episode in the books. Mickey Schwartz. Uh, how much fun did we have with that? 
I hope you guys dug it as much as I did. Hearing it again, getting you in the mood for OJ90, May 6th, 2017. It's going to be a whole whole weekend celebration, but go over to OJ90.com. Check it all out if you haven't already gotten your invite. Get your tickets. Get everything booked. Space is limited. And just so you know, we're doing a little special early bird. Anyone who buys their tickets during the month of February is going to be thrown into a hat pick. And uh, we're going to pull 10 names from the hat. 10 different winners are going to win two free nights stay at Camp Ojibwa. So you'll be able to book that up during the summer, make plans ahead of time, and then come up and spend two nights at the greatest place on earth. So buy your tickets now and get a chance to win that. Outside of that, we got a lot of stuff coming up, coming up for you in the next few weeks to celebrate the OJ90. Uh, you're going to love some of the fun stuff we're doing with the podcast. But it's a surprise, so you'll have to wait. I'll see you next week. I'm going outside. <laughs> <laughs>